Good morning, everybody. How are you? It's your girl, Super Cindy. Welcome to Community Matters. I hope you guys are feeling amazing on this Sunday morning. And you know how Community Matters does. We inform you on things that you really need to be informed on, educated on. We give out numbers to help you, resources. So this Sunday morning is not like unlike any other Sunday morning on Community Matters. This morning, we have Miss Emily Janice. She is a education and prevention manager at Women in Distress. And we've spoken to Women in Distress before, but February is Teen Domestic Violence Month. And we need to talk about this. We, we tend to think that domestic violence is only for adults, but the young people see the older people doing it in their homes or wherever they learn it or through the music or whatever the reason is. And now Teen Domestic Violence Month is a thing because it should be a thing because it is a problem. So good morning, Emily. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me on this morning. No worries. This is something we definitely got to talk about. So let everybody know exactly what Women in Distress is and what exactly it does. Sure. So Women in Distress is the local domestic violence center serving Broward County, but we're part of a network of domestic violence centers all around the state of Florida. And essentially, we provide direct support to survivors as well as community awareness. So we have our crisis hotline, our shelter, we've got therapy. Um, and then me and my team go out in the community and talk about domestic violence and dating violence, just like we are right now, to build that awareness because we can't help survivors on our own. Is there like a misconception um, that if you're like dating someone and they get physical or verbally abusive with someone that it's OK? Like what what are some of the misconceptions with domestic violence? Yeah, I think physical violence, we sort of know really young that it's not OK. Right. Um, and we're sort of taught that to a certain extent. But especially what you mentioned about the verbal and like the emotional violence, that's a lot of where the gray area is and where a lot of the misconception is. So one of the one of the things we see a lot is possessive jealousy. Right. And this happens with young people a lot, especially um, where they folks think that's like really cute or it's just, well, he really likes me. She really is into me. Um, jealousy is normal. Jealousy is a normal emotion. Possessive jealousy is not. You can't use your jealousy to start controlling another person, like looking through their phone. Um, and that's really what dating violence and domestic violence is about. It's about control, right? It's not about acts of physical violence. We spoke um, previously um, a few months ago and we talked about how the pandemic has affected the numbers in domestic violence. Can we touch on that again? Because we're still um, living through the effects of the pandemic and the stresses that we see on the news and all the numbers rising and all that stuff. Like what, how did the pandemic affect domestic violence? Yeah, it, I mean, it's already hard for survivors to get help. Um, and there's a lot of isolation that happens in domestic violence relationships. And the pandemic was all about isolation and kind of separating ourselves. A lot of the ways survivor get, get help isn't just calling us. It's a doctor asking questions, a teacher, a friend, a neighbor. That's why this awareness is so important. When you don't have those connections, you're not seeing folks, nobody's seeing you. Um, there's, you know, it's harder to get help sometimes. And even just to get out of the mental space of being with an abuser, when you're with an abuser, they are wearing down your self-esteem when they tell you things like, you know, no one else is going to love you. You're not going to be able to find anything outside of this. You can't do this on your own. You can't leave me. You really start to internalize that. So we know it's harder to get help with the pandemic. 
And also, um, it's just affected folks more. It's connected, uh, affected folks financially. And even the mental health aspect, what we're really focusing on this February for young people is mental health with dating violence and outside of that too. Because we know that we've seen statistics that youth are experiencing greater and more complex mental health issues, especially around the pandemic um, because of their, you know, the social connections and just the stress and depression and anxiety that they're facing. So we know mental health has been a big part of it too. Definitely. So let's talk about that teen domestic violence month, the month of February. We're in it right now. Why do you think a month specifically for teenagers and domestic violence was created? Because obviously. (laughs) Mm. Yeah, right. Well, so we have October Domestic Violence Awareness Month, right? But I think it's like what you said in the beginning. Um, We don't often think about dating violence happening with our young people. And us as adults, sometimes we can just kind of get dismissive of young people. We, We say, oh, it's a, you know, it's a young relationship. It's your high school sweetheart. It's your first relationship. That all might be true, but it doesn't mean it's any less real for those folks. And we need to make sure we take their experiences seriously. Um, The part of Dating Violence Awareness Month is not just building awareness of violence, but also doing the healthy relationships work. Um, It's a really good opportunity for us to teach about healthy relationships to combat and prevent dating violence in the future. So I think that's probably why it really started was was to kind of highlight young people and make sure they're heard and they get the tools that they need. What are some of the things that um, Women in Distress is doing in the month of February for Teen Domestic Violence Month? Yeah, so we, uh, we're running a series of parent youth workshops that are virtual. Um, we did this last year as well. And the goal of this is to really just get parents and youth talking, give them the tools to have these conversations. Um, in a lot of homes, folks don't talk about dating. Uh, it's really awkward or they don't want their child dating. And all of that is fine if you don't want your child to date, but it doesn't mean they're not getting those messages, right? So it can still be helpful to talk about healthy relationships, digital boundaries and safety, Uh, consent, those sorts of things. But parents and young people are often not equipped to have those conversations. So we're doing a a workshop series that's going to help give both youth and parents the tools to have those conversations and feels more safe and comfortable with each other. Do you find that teenagers are comfortable speaking about the fact that maybe they might be in an abusive teen relationship and the parents draw drops like what? Yeah, uh, I would say it's almost no, not comfortable. So there's a statistic that says only 33%, so about a third of teens who go through abusive relationships tell anyone about the abuse. And even those 33% that do talk about it with someone in their personal lives, it's almost never their parents. It's usually a peer, right? Because when you're young and even as adults, we go to our friends because we care about what they think and they're, they're closer to our experience. But there's a lot of fear, actually, when we talk to youth about going to their parents because they... Uh, fear that they're going to be told, you know, I told you so, that they're not going to understand, they're not going to take it as seriously, or that they're somehow going to get in trouble. Yeah, they're going to get grounded. You ain't going nowhere. <laughs> right. Or I told you, you know, that person was bad news. I told you to stop running with that yeah. crowd. And yeah, maybe you did tell that, but we know that young people have to experience, you know, not have to experience abuse, but kind of go based on what they want to do. So really, if your goal is to keep your child safe and help them get to safety, there should be no room for I told you so's. I told you so's are never a good thing to say because um, it always makes the person feel worse and you're not really helping. OK, no one wants to hear that. Mm-mm. So <clears throat> so what are like when when there's teen teens involved in an abusive relationship? So let's go on the end of where a teenager grew up in a home where they saw the parent 
being the abuser mm-hmm. to like the other parent or the the wife, husband, whatever. Mm-hmm. What are the like chances of that person growing up to be an abuser? Yeah, they're pretty high. Um, so we we see domestic violence and dating violence as a learned behavior, which is why it's actually preventable. Um, you know, I hate when folks are like, it's just going to happen. It's not. It, we can prevent it. It just takes a lot of work. Uh, mm-hmm. But one of the reasons it's a learned behavior is because they're seeing it in the homes that they grow up. Now, we know that folks can grow up in abusive homes and not become abusers, but the chances are about 50 to 60 percent. Um, and that's so it's a risk factor, right? Um, because that's where that, the adults in our home are often the first and most impactful example of intimate relationships, right? And, yeah. and romantic relationships. Now, I think you kind of mentioned it earlier, even kids also and us get all sorts of messages about relationships, not just from the folks in our home, but from our faith communities, from our community at large, from music, from social media, um, from our peers in school, uh, but the adults in our home, definitely. And the statistic is a little bit stronger for uh, young men and boys growing up in a household with an abusive uh, father figure, male figure, um, because we know that kids often identify with the parent of the same gender in the home. So we see it a little bit stronger on that end. Mm. And then what if someone, a teenager grew up in a home where their parent also, they saw their parent being, I don't want to call them the victim, but what is the proper term of the person who's being abused? Is it victim? Uh, You know, each survivor survivor. does it themselves. We have, yeah, we usually use survivor because I like to emphasize, you know, they are actively surviving their situation. Um, They are not just a passive player in this, right? They are doing what they can to keep them and their kids safe. But some folks that we work with prefer the term victim. Some prefer the term survivor. Some don't really use any term. Um, But yeah, typically we use the word survivor. So if a teenager grows up in a home where they see their parent or their guardian or whoever being a survivor and dealing with it daily, and that teenager is dealing with that daily as well, what are, do you think it's more likely that they grow, they grow up to not tolerate something like that, or they might fall into the same trap of being a victim slash survivor as well? Yeah, that one's a little bit harder to say. We don't have as much clear like pattern data on that. But again, it's that learned behavior piece, right? Um, they might know that it's bad and it impacts them in the home, um, but then they're not they're not getting us another example. And that's really why healthy relationships education is so important because you can't just say, okay, this was bad, whether that's from personal experience growing up in the home, right? Or you just learn about it, but you have to replace it with something positive. You got to give folks the tools to do something different. Um, so that's really where the missing piece is in that example. Uh, so, you know, if they get that education or they do the work themselves uh, to look for green flags and, and that sort of thing, then yeah, maybe they can prevent it. Um, but, but there are cases where folks grow up in violent homes and they, they experience violence in the future. A lot of that more though, is we still want to put obviously the, the, the accountability on the person who's doing the abuse, right? Exactly. So, uh, even if you grow up in a violent home and you get victimized yourself as an adult, still not your fault, right? If you didn't see the red flags earlier enough, it's still the person who chose to abuse you who's at fault. And you spoke, and you said a little bit earlier something extremely important: the mental health aspect of abuse yeah. and domestic violence. And now we're shifting it to teenagers. What? Like, speak a little bit on that, like the mental health portion of domestic violence, but speaking about the teen part of it. 
Yeah, absolutely. So we know, I mean, we, we could probably call back to it as teenagers, maybe some folks are confident, but all of us are going through changes at that time. You're figuring exactly. out who you are. You've got like, you know, your peers around you, you're kind of under a constant social microscope. It's, it's a time of a lot of pressure, but also a lot of growth. Um, so we know that it can be a challenging time for young people anyway, and they need a lot of, you know, strong uh, adult presence and support and strong communities and neighborhoods and schools and that feeling of safety in all of those environments. Um, so with the pandemic, but especially with abusive relationships, they lose that sense, right? When you at that really young, vulnerable age, when you're just starting to grow into yourself, now you have this person in your life who's telling you you're not good enough. Uh, you're not doing what you need to as a girlfriend or boyfriend. Um, you know, and they start wearing down your self-esteem. That's a really crucial time where that can really impact your development um, of yourself and your confidence. Um, and so we know, you know, increased kids that go through abusive relationships and even that grow, grow up in abusive homes are at increased risk for suicide um, and other mental health issues, uh, both in youth and into adulthood. So um, there's a lot of that. And then there's a lot of stigma around them getting the help that they need. I think that's changing. We're hearing a lot of youth talk about mental health in a really positive way and we want to keep that going. But there's still that stigma there for adults and even more so for youth. Yeah, I agree with that. So when, you know, in an adult relationship, when the police are called, when an incident happens and the police are called, is it different with teenagers? Like, you know, parents might get involved and the parents might go to whoop that person's butt for their child. Like, it's just such a like a web of. A it web gets really complex. <laughs> and that's really the tough part about teen dating violence is they're minors. Right. Um, so they're even, we, you know, when we talk with adults, we talk about like getting restraining orders and things or getting services like from women in distress. For young people, they can do those things, but a lot of it has to involve parent or guardian support. And like we talked about earlier, there's often, there's a lot of reasons why teens fear going to their parents. So that might block them off from that support. But I want to mention for WID and for a lot of the domestic violence centers, Teens can get services with us up to two times, like two sessions confidentially before we have to then get parental or guardian consent. And those two confidential times can help like, you know, safety plan for telling a parent. But yeah, there's a lot of barriers that teens face in like the structures of getting help around calling law enforcement, parents getting involved and the resources that are available. So that's why we want to make you know, these hotlines and resources and other things out there for teens a lot more accessible for them. I know the parents might not agree with me, but I think that's amazing that you guys give the teens, a person under 18, an opportunity to go speak to, to you without a parent there and their authorization and everything. Because like you said, the teens don't want their parents in that situation. And that gives women in distress an opportunity to discuss it see their situation right. and try to let them know like what the proper way is to handle what they're going through. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what, too, I, I found in my experience, because we're doing a lot more parent education, that's what we're really trying to focus on as well, because we know that one of the best ways to support youth, like we're talking about, is to kind of get the parent positively involved mm -hmm. and give them the tools. And I found that once once we do talk to parents, most of them are pretty open and they want to be able to help their kid and, and have that really strong relationship. Um, but yeah, giving that teen the space first and then being able to work with the parent and then bring them together is a, it makes it a lot more positive instead of just, I told my parent and now things, you know, now there's chaos sort of, you know. 
Let's give out that number um, for women in distress and then we'll keep talking. Um, The women in distress number is 954-761-1133. Again, 954-761-1133. So when someone calls that number, um, Emily, what is the process? Sure. They talk to a live advocate. We always have live advocates. You're never going to go through like an automated response. Um, And really the first question we ask is, are you in a safe place to talk? Right. So we assess for immediate safety just to make sure, you know, we can get to a place where you feel comfortable talking. And then really it's up to the caller. We have folks call who just want to talk and aren't ready to get services. Absolutely. Okay. We have folks that are ready to get services that want to know more. We have folks that Um, you know, might not need dating violence services, but might need other ones and we can kind of connect them. So the hotline is really, and it's even for parents and professionals, if you want to work through a situation or get some guidance or just talk it out. So the hotline is a wonderful resource. It's 24 seven, 365 days a year. um, And we can help with any of those. It's very open-ended and very much based on, you know, what the caller really wants to talk about what they need in the moment. You just said something really dope that, if you know someone who's being abused, you don't have to be the one being abused, but know someone and you're trying to figure out how do I talk to them? How do I convince them to get help? How do I convince them to get out of that situation? How do I help them get out of it? They can mm-hmm. also call the, the number to, to ask for advice there, too. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of that, again, that's a lot of the way survivors get connected to services and even think about getting help, whether they're ready to leave or not, is through people they know, right? And you don't have to be a trained advocate to be a friend. I always say that to young people, to adults, to parents, you know, we don't expect you to be a domestic violence expert and safety plan and all this stuff. Really, a lot of the times what that person in your life needs is someone who believes them and is willing to help. Um, You know, and a good example of that even is, you know, maybe you use my cell phone to call the hotline when you're ready to call the hotline instead of using your own. So the number doesn't show up. Maybe you come Mm. over my house. Maybe we text a code word. And if, you know, maybe you're feeling unsafe or you need someone to talk to, you text me that code word. I call you, I text you, I come over. Um, So there's a lot of stuff that us as community members can do outside of having to be, you know, trained and and super prepared. I think folks often get scared of the idea of getting involved at all because they feel like they're going to make it worse. Your goal is to just make it safer um, and and be a friend. Should someone who's in an abusive relationship, whether they're a teen, adult or whatever, should they have like a game plan like you just said, like with your best friend or a close person that you trust, have like a game plan? Like if I ever text you the word blah, blah, just come over (laughs) or something like that. Yeah. Um, it definitely helps. I think safe. So we do, that's like really what we call safety planning, right? And we do safety planning as part of all of our services. And folks often think as a safety plan, you know, like we don't have a magical checklist that we we go through. It's really tailored to what is this person already doing and how can we enhance that? So we might give suggestions like the code word and things um, for some folks that might not work. But yeah, that's a lot of what we give on the hotline, especially as we talk through safety, right? Because it's, you can't, um, as a survivor who's surviving in this relationship, because the abuse isn't your fault, you can't anticipate always that it's going to happen or when it's going to happen or how, but there are things you can do and just like ideas you can have that can help you feel safer. So if this happens, I can do this. Um, so yeah, I recommend, I mean, safety planning is an awesome resource and our advocates on the phone who are professionals can help you with that. Um, it's certainly helpful even just for, you know, your mental strength of, okay, I have, 
have folks in my life, I have this idea of what I could do. And maybe that makes it easier than to get help further. If a parent is listening right now and they might think that, you know, parents, sometimes they might over dramatize the situation Mm -hmm. or whatever. But if a parent in their heart feels like their child might be in an abusive relationship, what should what do you advise them to do? Um, Not I'd go choke out the, the boyfriend or the girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, don't That's go chasing heart. after who you think the abusive partner is. That's just going to escalate things uh, okay. as much as our parental maybe, uh, you That's know. That's the first thought, parents. don't do it. Yeah. Right, right. Uh, PSA for everybody. Um, a, a big thing is just to talk with your Talk with the young person first. Talk with your child. Um, and it doesn't have to be, are you being abused? Because that's going to shut them down a lot. Right? Yeah. And they might not have that language, but just, hey, how is everything? You don't seem like yourself. Um, and really come at a place of not, I think you're doing something wrong by being with this person, but I'm worried about you and I care about you and you can talk to me. And even if they're not ready to share, sending that message of you can talk to me, it's okay. I want you to be safe. I care more about your safety than any perceived wrongs you might have done mm-hmm. um that message is what will open the door um and then if there's a you know heightened concern you can be a little bit more forthright and say you know i'm concerned about your safety because xyz um you know do you want to get help do you want to talk about it but i think i think yeah just starting the conversation with them sending that message that they can't talk to you uh and then again calling the hotline getting some guidance and some you know perspective Yes, parents, if you're listening, you can also call Women in Distress at 954-761-1133 to ask for advice on how to handle if you and your heart feel like your teen, unfortunately, is, you know, being abused by their, you know, significant other. What is it? um, I don't want to sound stereotypical or anything, but domestic violence happens in gay relationships as well. Right. Same sex. Like, yeah, it happens in LGBTQ relationships. Mm-hmm. It happens where if it's a heterosexual relationship, the male can be the um, the victim. Yeah, it, it happens. It does because it's not about who you are. It's about what you do. Mm-hmm. Right. And what you do is the abuse if you're in an abusive relationship or you experience it. Uh, but yeah, it can absolutely happen in LGBTQ relationships. But for LGBTQ teens, um, they're less even more less likely to report the violence because at that time when they're teenagers, they might not be out with their identity to everyone. Their parents might not be okay with their identity or still be struggling with it. So if they're in an LGBTQ relationship that's abusive, that might stop them from being able to tell because talking about your abusive relationship involves talking about the person you're in that abusive relationship with. So we want to make sure that LGBTQ teens know that it can happen, but also that they have supports in their life that not only accept them, but are willing to help them get to safety. Does women in distress have resources to like if a church or a organization or a teen organization or something was interested in having a woman in distress advocate or representative go speak to the young people or even adults? You guys have those resources? Oh, absolutely. And that's really what we have a whole team luckily dedicated. So I'm really happy that our uh, our agency is invested in an education and prevention team because it's an essential piece of our work, just as much as it's essential to have a hotline and a shelter and all the other stuff we do. So on our website, womenindistress.org, there's an education and prevention uh, webpage tab on there. Um, and my contact info is there. But yeah, you can reach out to us through that website um, and we'd be happy to come speak with. I always joke, we'll speak with anyone that wants to listen to us, but um, we're happy to recognize that because folks need to know and we're happy to have these conversations. 
I think honestly, like it'd be awesome for like the churches, the pastors listening, um, just church goers, anybody who's involved with any organization to have women in distress, go speak to them and educate everyone involved the congregation or whoever, yeah. I think that would be amazing. Well, you so know what? Again, faith communities. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to no, no, go off. ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I say faith communities, especially we know that that's that place where you come for connection, for knowledge, for, you know, all that spirituality. Those can be some of the strongest places to talk about this stuff. You're absolutely right. Because folks, folks are already building those vulnerable relationships with each other. There's a trust in those communities. Um, and so that can easily and, and wonderfully be a space to, for safety and to also just build that awareness. So yeah, we, we'd be happy to come out and talk with those folks too. So we've been speaking to Emily Janice. She is the education and prevention manager at women in distress. Emily, we just want to thank you so much for always educating our listeners. The number to women in distress again is 954-761-1133. That's 954-761-1133. And you can also go to womenindistress.org to get more information. Remember, February is Teen Domestic Violence Month. Let's get the word out. Let's educate each other, educate our young people so they don't become survivors of this horrible thing or victims, especially. Emily, thank you so much for your time and for speaking to us this morning. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much for having me and highlighting this issue. Y'all are doing amazing work. (laughs) Your girl, Super Cindy, Community Matters. This episode is produced by Dr. Delvina.